Fresh episode of Fish Bites with Eli Sussman and Alex Contreras of Fish Stripes. You know what we do, covering the Marlins franchise from all angles on the website, fishstripes.com, or on all the social media outlets that you're on, on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook. Find us there at Fish Stripes. New stuff every day, you know, keeping you entertained through this delayed season, but Seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, maybe. A lot of developments on that situation that we're going to be discussing in just a minute. Uh, a special topic that was inspired by a question that we saw on Twitter about players that had quick but memorable runs with the Marlins just one season at a time with the organization. And more about celebrating the history of the Marlins as well. We have we got a great fan submission on fishtraps.com that we're going to bring up as well to get into all that. This is a late night with the fish recording at the end of a long Wednesday, thank you so much, Alex, for bringing your perspective in to join me tonight. Thanks a lot for having me, Eli. I'm so glad to be here for you, for Fish Stripes and all of Fish Nation, man. I can't wait to talk about some Marlins baseball. And we'll start with the good news. The good news is that Marlins are stepping up at the highest levels, at the leadership levels of the organization where we continue to have no finite start date for the season. There's a lot of skepticism that we're going to have no minor league baseball at all in 2020. But despite that, the team is committing it into, they're investing in its future and committing to the young guys that represent the bright future of the organization, the top prospects on the team that are, are not even on the roster, but we're put in this situation where all 30 teams, they agreed to pay their minor leaguers a, a weekly stipend through the months of April and May, keeping them going. Guys that don't have a lot of financial security that were really depending on having a minor league season. And all 30 teams have been keeping them going through May 31st. But with that expiration date coming up, there's now this flexibility for each team to do what they thought was best for themselves in taking care of their minor leaguers in the Marlins on Wednesday morning first reported by Baseball America and since confirmed that all of their prospects are going to be continue to get their weekly stipends. It's 400 bucks a week, every single week through the end of the summer, representing like the entire minor league season. The team is continuing to pay them through the summer, even at a time where we know the situation that the American economy is in, how difficult it would be for these guys to get side jobs. And even the ones are, that might be trying to get them now, even while being minor league players, but, team recognizing that they still need to train, that they're still parts of the team for 2020 and beyond, and committing to pay all their prospects through the end of the summer. Uh, On on one hand, a surprising move, something that is uncharacteristic of what the Marlins have done in the past. But at the same time, that's kind of what you would expect from from Derek Jeter and from what this front office has been showing us throughout the past two and a half, three years, that they're really committed to building this organization from the ground up, right? Can you hear that, Eli? Yeah, that round of applause. That's a round of applause for the Miami Marlins, for Bruce Sherman, for Derek Jeter, 
and for all the front office and the entire organization. The Marlins have shown that they are a class organization. I want us to completely eliminate us from Jeffrey Loria, okay? Jeffrey Loria is a thing of the past and is a thing that we should never, ever, ever mention again in Florida Marlins, Miami Marlins history, okay? The only time we should mention that guy's name is when we win World Series. But the point of the fact is that Bruce Sherman and Derek Jeter have taken it to another level in terms of caring about the South Florida community, okay? When I say that these guys were giving out free masks, they were giving out free food, and now that they are paying for all of their minor league organization players' salaries, that, my friends, takes it to another, another level, okay? For all those fans out there that are talking about that the Mons are cheap stakes and they don't spend any money on the team, I want you to guys to take this chance right now when we're in quarantine to just sit back, open your eyes, and look at the Florida Marlins, your Miami Marlins, out of all our other 30 teams, and just be so proud of the fact that these guys are taking charge and paying for salary of all of these minor league players in their organization. Because to me, that is beautiful. To me, that is the American dream. Okay, in South Florida, this goes beyond the Marlins. Okay, because this this franchise, this ownership, has shown has determined that they are proven to be with us in the good times and bad. And I really don't know what more you can expect. I don't. I really don't know what more you can ask from as a fan of the Miami Marlins of the Florida Marlins of a baseball fan from Miami Marlins. I don't know what, what else you can ask for because these guys have done everything that you can ask for and they are proven leaders during these hard times during the COVID-19. When we came here, we made a few promises uh, to the fan base here. We said, one, we were gonna listen to them. Um, and coming into this park now, you can see that we listened to them. Uh, we said we we're going to build a first-class organization. But we also said that we we're going to re-engage with the community. And uh, we're well on the way to, to fulfilling our promises. We're not going to make any promises we can't keep. Yeah, and it's, it's a step above what most other teams are doing because really this whole uh, news cycle started off on Tuesday late afternoon. It was the Oakland A's that – had sent a letter they sent they maybe they called the guys individually but it, it seems like they just notified everybody with like a mass email that all these players at the end of this week were going to be cut off financially that i mean it's, talk about really cold business for an, a team that a lot of people compare to the marlins in terms of one that is has limited financial resources that needs to be smart and that needs to be sympathetic and uh, they really set a lot of people off with that news that that they were not going to be paying their, their prospects in June, July, or August, and yet trying to still reassure them that they're part of the team moving forward. It's You just can't really buy into that, of course. And that really concerns me, and I'm sure many other people, that other teams might follow that trend and might make that same calculated decision. And uh, as of this recording so far, most teams haven't decided one way or the other, and so far no other single team has gone that dramatic in that direction. 
along with the Marlins on the other side of the equation, the Padres are the other team that uh, made that same commitment through the entire length of the minor league season. Uh, but even like competing in the division, because ultimately that's what this stuff adds up to taking care of your prospects translates to the major league level. Big rival of the Marlins right now is the Braves and the Braves committed to their players for an additional month through the month of June, but said they're going to reevaluate after that. So even they weren't like willing at this point to make that same length of commitment to all these players. And I think most importantly, it's something that we've mentioned on previous episodes and uh, we're not going to go too much into it now, but with the MLB draft coming up, uh, it's going to be a very unusual draft. It's only five rounds long instead of 40 rounds. There's like an extra 1000 qualified amateur players that are not going to be drafted this year. They're going to be entering free agency. They're going to be free agents that can sign for a limited bonus. And if you have a choice to choose like what team you want to go to right now, then in the money, all things are being equal on the financial side uh, and on the opportunity side, then you're probably going to be drawn to the Marlins. If you see that they're a team that takes care of all these players and like realistically, it's a couple hundred minor league players. Most of them are not going to ultimately be a factor for the Marlins at the big league level. But but I, it's not really about that. It's not necessarily about like dividing lines between those guys. It's about trying to treat everybody equally, give them all the same opportunity. And but if you, if I'm so, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Eli. But if we're talking about treating everybody equally, the Miami Marlins are showing that they're not treating everybody equally because unlike the 29 other major league baseball teams, the Miami Marlins, the team with the least amount of profit in all of major league baseball is the one taking care of their players. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. And that's what I want the whole entire community to talk about. Buster only is not talking about this. John Heyman's not talking about this. I, I, I really, talk I about this. John Heyman did tweet about it. He did put a little tweet congratulating the team on doing this. I give John credit. He is based in South Florida and uh, he, he falls along a little bit, but generally speaking, you're on a roll. You're correct on that. So, I mean, John, yeah, John finally shed a little bit of light on us and that's fair. But a majority of the time, 95% of the time, these guys are just bashing on our fish. And you know what I'm saying? The only, the 5% of the time that they're not bashing on our fish is either 1% when Derek Jeter and Bruce Sherman purchase the team and the other 4% when we finally win a World Series. So I think it's time for Major League Baseball and everybody that follows this great sport to recognize the great job that this new administration, this new head office is taking charge of. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's trending in the right direction. One other thing that I guess this is outdated a little bit, but it was just a few months ago that I was pleading with the team to raise the pay that they were giving to their minor leaguers. It's all well and good that they're making sure these guys have something to take care of. That's more than what a lot of people have at this point, given what COVID has done to so many jobs in other industries. It's better, it's so much better to have something than nothing. But uh, yeah, I was, I made the case. It was just a few months ago that to give that team an advantage in trying to bring in more prospects and you simply raise that baseline salary that you give to all these prospects um, where in compared to other major league teams. And this was a nice step and it's going to be a really big test. It's just a few weeks away from after the draft, there's going to be all these undrafted free agents. And for those guys to choose between these teams, 
where they think they can make the most impact, where with the team they believe will take the best care of them. I mean, the Marlins are trying to put themselves at the top of that list in order to find some hidden gems in that process. We, but we need to circle back to probably the bigger cloud that's hanging over everything, and that's the uncertainty about the 2020 Major League season. It's it's at the end of this week. We're going to be heading into June, and unless uh, it's going to take a miracle really for them to resolve this over the upcoming weekend, both sides, the owners and the Players Association, still seem very far apart about the finances of the game. Um, and in particular, the new proposal that went out from the owners to the players on Tuesday, it was uh, unusual. It was unusual. It was met with a lot of disappointment from the players uh, because not only did it call for these players to receive prorated salaries, uh, just reflecting the shortened season that they're going to be playing as opposed to 162 games, but it also is a, a sliding scale where the guys at the top of the scale the highest paid players in the games, your Mike Trout, your Garrett Coles, et cetera, Clayton Kershaw. Those are the guys that take the biggest cuts proportionally. Those are the guys that are, it's almost a tax, if you will, where, the, where those players are given the most back. Whereas when you go all the way to the bottom of the scale, it's not quite as dramatic, but every single player would be taking less than what they originally agreed to. They thought they would just take a portion of their salary that reflected how many games were going to be played. It goes down to 162 to 82 and you just cut their salaries in half. And it turns out that the owners want them to make an additional sacrifice on top of that. But um, I think you can agree with this, that just the fact that there's been a lot of leaks to the media uh, from both sides uh, where it just doesn't seem like they're getting along. They seem to be prioritizing all these little details over actually getting the season going that's just not a good look for the sport to, to to be in that kind of fight when you know there's so much to gain just from getting back on the field. And if the health officials have signed on on them being able to play baseball again and being able to be safe and play some version of the sport that we're accustomed to, that they really should make that the topmost priority to get this settled as quickly as possible. Listen, a lot of major league players make millions of dollars to play the great game of baseball, okay? They negotiate contracts over $300 million, $100 million, $40 million, whatever it may be, okay? But the point of the fact is that we're living in a pandemic. And unfortunately, these guys are not going to make the same amount of money that they used to make when it was 162-game season, okay? Unfortunately, that's not going to happen. I wish that they could make that amount of money, but it's not going to happen, okay? Um, the American people, as, as, as sad as it's going to sound, the American people don't want to hear that millionaire baseball players don't want to play the sport because that they're going to make three, four million dollars less than the average American, okay? That being said, you know, I really hope and I pray every single day that we are fortunate enough to get another baseball season going underway. But the proposal that the Major League Baseball owners and the MLB Players Association received, it's a joke, okay? Uh, the, the, the proposal, I feel like it's a, it's a buffoon of a joke. It's a buffoon of a proposal. And there is no way in hell 
I mean, look, listen, everybody I know, you guys want to see Major League Baseball. You want to experience Major League Baseball. You want to, you guys want to see it. I feel that. I completely understand it. But if you put yourself in the shoes of a Nolan Arenado or a Mike Trout or a Bryce Harper, there is no way in hell that you're going to accept the proposal that the major league owners are proposing to the players association. There's no way, you know, there's no way that a a player that's supposed to make $30 million is going to make $7 million or $6 million roughly over this $80 million season. Yes. It makes sense economically in terms of money. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we're not all thought we're not all thinking about, what makes sense for you or makes sense for the economy. We're all thinking about what's what makes sense for me and my family. And as sad as that sounds, okay, I really highly doubt that we will have a baseball season, okay? And I'm the most optimistic guy in all of South Florida, in all the North American continent that we are going to have baseball because me out of everybody that I know loves baseball the most. I love baseball. I would rather watch baseball over the NBA, over the NFL, over the NHL, over the NCAA, you know, but if we can't get on the same page, I really doubt it's going to happen. And if it, if it doesn't happen with our major league players, and correct me if I'm wrong, Eli. I think we're gonna go back to a fo- uh, 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 fellow. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but we're gonna go back to a, a couple episodes back on Fish Bites when we talked about the possibility of Major League Baseball replacements, replacement players taking over Major League players that were against, who refuse to play under the current major league baseball rules okay in the pandemic maybe mike trout doesn't want to play in the pandemic bryce harper doesn't want to play in the pandemic the pitcher from the rays doesn't want to play uh snell okay Mm -hmm. who am i to say that they have to play but who am i to say that they don't have to play i remember when i mentioned this to you you were like yo no way that's gonna happen but I, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we're a little bit closer to that happening. Like, we might legitly be closer to having replacement players being in the major league. And if, not, if it's not replacing players, it's going to be top prospects getting their opportunity to earn their guap, earn their money, earn their worth to be playing in the major league baseball. Well... I'm still of the opinion that the replacement players is not on the table, but you did bring up an important point about the individual guys, these especially high-profile stars, whether it's Trout or Snell, a former Cy Young winner, or all, I mean, some of the brightest stars in the game have been outspoken about their concerns about their health, and that's really understandable. And obviously, there are certain risks that these guys as a union have agreed to take, but if on an individual level, if you're a player that has a certain pre-existing condition, if you have a very close relationship to certain family members who are at risk, if they do uh, 
come down with the illness that you want to take every precaution necessary to not risk their lives. And the, the really the main way to do that is just to stay away from this high concentration of people that would take place in a baseball game. No matter all, whatever testing you do and some of the restrictions that you set up, it is always tricky to keep that environment safe. And if you have individual players asking out and the high profile guys asking out, and you know how important those guys are to the state of the game, but at the same time, baseball is not a one man sport. It's not, there's not really one player that transcends the entire game. And yeah, ultimately there'll be other people playing in the position of those players. So that's a big unknown is what type of procedure they have for allowing individuals to choose whether they want to be a part of this or not. Uh, I think we got to realize that there are 1,200 players in the Players Association. If you're on a 40-man roster on any of these teams, you're in the association. And because of that, like even if it's even if it's 100 guys across the league that don't want to do this, that still leaves enough to fill out all these rosters. So my expectation would be that we're still going to see it filled in a – we're not going to see anything too disruptive in terms of them defaulting to replacement players and all that. But yeah, it's going to be a very foreign looking year. If, if yeah, the most marketable players in the game, the guys that we admire the most, uh, if they're not a part of it, then the quality of play is going to suffer a lot for sure. Uh, one, one like ridiculous wrinkle out of this proposal that, that you're not a fan of. I'm not a fan of either in terms of it being legitimate and being fair is the contrast in pay between all the Marlins on the roster and Wei Yin Chen. Because um, one move that the Marlins made during the offseason that was really well-received is they just cut Chen loose because he had that terrible season. He had $22 million remaining on his contract, but he just wasn't contributing anymore, so they cut him loose. But because of that, it's a little loophole in the situation where he's not on a roster He's not a part of the league at this very moment. He's, he's a minor leaguer with Mariners, and he's still entitled to that full guaranteed amount. Like He's not affected in the same way that any other active player is. So he's collecting $22 million this year. But meanwhile, the rest of the Marlins, as an entire team, they were due to make in the low $50 million range. The entire Marlins active player pool is only going to be earning – about $20 million in this situation, an entire team of major leaguers, a team that we we've been talking about is much improved over what they were last year. Not a contending team by any means, but one that had a lot of interesting potential fielding an entire team for this half season and paying them essentially what Chen was making. So as much sympathy as we have for a team like the Marlins that have some of their revenue challenges and as much as we want to see baseball going, like that optic of having the entire team and paying them over the course of regular season, what a single player was making and a mediocre player at that. It's, it's just impossible to move forward like that. It's just, it's really exploiting these guys or it's trying to exploit these guys. And uh, that's why you put together the union is you, you just try to fight that and put together a more reasonable proposal. So the main problem in major league baseball right now is not the major league players association or the Major League Baseball Commissioner. It's both, okay? There is no way in hell that we're having these discussions talking about the Major League Baseball Players Association's president and Tony Clark and Rob Manfred. The real question here is, when are we going to have 
the next president's being voted in because Rob Manfred and Tony Clark have both handled this very poorly in all of Major League Baseball's community, okay? From Rod Manfred not knowing how to handle this whole steroid situation, not knowing how to handle the Houston Astros situation, from Tony Clark not knowing how to say, no, you're crazy. How in the hell is the most played player in Major League Baseball earning $30 million and with your new proposal is gonna earn roughly over $6 million? You're crazy. There is no way in hell if I'm a major league baseball player, owner, or player that I want either Tony Clark or Rob Manfred representing me or my association, because you guys, you guys are not stepping up to the bat. You guys are not stepping up to the plate and you guys are not coming through with a base hit for my organization or my player's organization. And it's not so much that I think they're despicable people, that they're unqualified people, but they really they just don't work well together either. Like, I'm not I, I don't have anything against Rob Manfred. I don't have anything against Tony Clark. I thought Tony Clark was a great guy, great pinch hitter, even when he was with the Yankees and got a pinch hit double off the Marlins the World Series. I don't have anything against Tony Clark. My beef with him is is that you need to step up for major league players and minor league players, and you need to say what's right from wrong, bro. If you don't step up now, who the hell is going to step up? Who the hell is going to be the next major league baseball commissioner? Everybody talked about, uh, 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 I'm sorry, who the hell was the last, <laughs> who the hell was the last uh, uh, MLB commissioner? It was Seelig. Uh, Bud Seelig. Seelig. Bud Seelig. I'm sorry. It was Bud Seelig. All right. And you guys want to talk about Rob Manford. Who the hell is the next guy up? Who's the next guy up after Tony Clark? I don't see anybody talking about that. Everybody's talking about, oh, Rob Manford did a shitty job with the Houston Astros. Rob Manford didn't do a good, such a good job with the proposal to the MLB Players Association on what's going to happen next after the pandemic with the coronavirus. And I respect that. And I can completely agree with that. But who decides? Who votes for the next major league baseball commissioner? Under Bud Sealing, it was Rob Manfred. Who is under Rob Manfred? But does anybody know that? Eli, do you know that? Right. I not off the top of my head, no. Yeah, so I feel like it's all like a mafia, bro. Like, how did Tony Clark? No disrespect to Tony Clark, but how did Tony Clark make it? to the president of Major League Baseball operations, the players' operations. How did he make it to the top of that chain, all right? How did, not, how did a guy not like Chipper Jones get there? Or a guy that supposedly cares so much about, about Major League Baseball, like Alex Rodriguez? Why didn't A-Rod or A-Roid or whatever you want to call him, why didn't he step up to the plate and I step up for every single major league baseball player when they needed to. All oh, A Rod's gonna talk about all oh, the players need to coincide. They need to agree with the MLB owners in this moment. What? How long has Major League Baseball been around for? How many years have the Major League Baseball owners won money? Year after year after year after year. 
But now that we see what a handful of players making over $300 million, now it's okay to say, hey, you know, we're not going to take, well, oh, we're going to take this amount of money from our players? No, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, but there's no way in hell that Major League Baseball fans, Major League Baseball organizations, franchises, anybody that follows baseball should be following the leaders, following these guys. Manfred, Tony Clark, what have you done to be there? What have you done to continue being there? And who's next up? Who the hell decides? Who evaluates Yell's job? And do you think that it's legit for a major league player, the highest major league player, to be winning $30 million this year to be told, hey, there's a pandemic and you're only going to win six? Or a major league player that's only going to win six million, they're going to tell him, hey, you're only going to win two million. Or a, a player that's only going to win two million, they're going to tell him, hey, listen, you're not even going to win half a million dollars. You're going to win $400 million. How about that? $400,000. i am sorry. <laughs> I, one of the issues, I think, is with leadership at, on both sides of the equation is that these jobs aren't exactly like a walk in the park that you get on these jobs and not glamorous and um, maybe not all that fulfilling. You don't get like the most qualified people trying to compete for these jobs and really being candidates. You mentioned, you name dropped all those like amazing players that you'd want to like be a voice for the, for the association after their careers are over. And they, you know, they do other things with their time because not only because they're well enough off that they don't need like a normal job moving forward, but yeah, they just don't want the stress, I guess, of being involved in these negotiations. It's an ugly history between the owners and the players, not just in this issue, not just under Bud Seelig, but it's like it has a, a long legacy of having these conflicts, having these, including having the players strike a quarter century ago where they just could not agree to a deal and had to cancel the World Series that year. It's always been a lot of tension between the two sides. You know, it's the same issue that you have in every major sport, but for whatever reason in baseball, it gets, it's gotten more contentious than ever. Um, one thing, obviously, that applies this season is that it's half the length of the typical season that's going to be. And there's going to be one more year under the collective bargaining agreement in 2021. But after that, there's the potential for so much to change. So, so many things that we know about the sport and accept about the sport have the opportunity to change. And I mean, one of those that brought up earlier before we started recording and something that's certainly been on a lot of people's mind is the length of the season where for decades it used to be 154 games, but for the last 60 years or so, it's been 162. That's a number that everybody has committed to memory. That's um, all the cliches are about playing 162, about running the whole marathon and all our records are based on that in recent years. However, you know, it's something that is so much longer than any other sport. Before this COVID-19 hit, there had been concerns about baseball and questions about why baseball is not dying, but certainly losing a younger audience and what changes could be made to like make it uh, more interesting on a daily basis or, or, you know, more wholesale changes to the format that make it more exciting moving forward. So we're going to have, if this season moves forward, it's going to be 82 games. I know you're pessimistic about this particular issue. I'm, I'm just staying on the side that 
despite all the ugliness coming out publicly, that, that these sides are going to figure it out and they're going to play a season. Uh, we might have 162 again in next year in 2021, but after that, what direction do you think the league is heading in? What do you- I would love for this season to be 200 games, right? But that's just the baseball passion fanatic in me. But hearing my friend out after this whole pandemic's gone down and he's telling me, yo, 82-game season is the definitely way to go, right? Because Americans have a short span attention, okay? Americans love watching a 16-game NFL season. They love watching 82 games in an NBA season. Why in the hell would they love watching a 162-game season? The majority of baseball fans that watch baseball, they don't start watching baseball until July, until after the All-Star game, you know? And that really, that, that, that pushes my buttons and it grinds my gears. Because what the hell are you guys doing for four months and not paying attention to baseball? Those are beautiful months in the baseball season. But now that this whole pandemic is happening, I can really put myself in his shoes and understand what the hell he's saying. Because for the first time since 18, I don't know what, we haven't had baseball since April. Ladies and gentlemen, I hate to break the news to you, but we're in June. We are really in June. And there is still no baseball. There is still no opening day. So... I hate to break it to you, but what my friend is saying, my friend Flip, he's totally correct. Like, we are so close to the chance of having baseball seasons restructured and baseball seasons, like, taken to a whole different level. Like, we're not going to have 162-game seasons anymore. We're not going to have those $300 million contracts anymore. We're not going to see Bryce Harper and Cole signing these major league contracts, these $300 million contracts. It's not going to happen anymore because once major league baseball takes it upon themselves to accept this 82-game season, regardless if we have all the major league stars or not, they're going to see a boom in population. And this boom is going to be so unfortunate that we're going to lose half of those games because that boom is going right down to the playoff race, the playoff crunch, the moment of truth. If you look at TV ratings in sports, people only really hop in, tune in into sports when they're in playoff races. And to keep it 1,000 with all of you guys, ain't nobody, ain't nobody going to follow no no MLB race until we get past the All-Star game. How do we get attention past the All-Star game or before the All-Star game? You make the Major League Baseball season shorter. That being said, if you make the baseball season shorter, say goodbye to the Ted Williams records, say goodbye to the Barry Bonds records, say goodbye to the 300 uh, 300 strikeout seasons. Say goodbye to all that. There's going to be a whole different perspective to Major League Baseball and the rules of the game. That's really how I feel after quarantine 2020. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's a lot of middle ground between this half season and 162. And, of course, it's it's going to be difficult. One thing you threw in there is the question about those individual contracts. They, they wouldn't be trying to 
like cut off any of the revenue that the sport is generating. They're trying to walk that line between making, you know, like taking the stress off of the players and, and like opening up the schedule, but also, you know, trying to draw more eyeballs to those individual games and make it a better product. They're trying to keep that money flowing in and keep the best players paid and just trying to do it in a different type of format. So I think it's going to stay close to 162 moving forward. But something that is very clear is that because of obvious concerns on everybody's side about everything it takes to put it together, that kind of length of a schedule and all the resources and attention and health and injury risks that puts people through in the process, that there's obvious perks to shortening it up. But that's, that's going to be a matter for uh, once we get through this, once we get through this week, and I know time passes by so slowly when we're in the middle of like these situations, but we'll get through this week, hopefully get through this season. And yeah, there's going to be a lot more clarity to that afterwards. Once we hopefully make it through the other one end of, of this whole situation. One of the good things that we can say that the major league players association has been able to get on the same page with in terms of the owners association and MLB is that we have all come to terms on a universal agreement for the designated hitter for the 2020 season. That's the one thing that we can say that we have all get on the same page and see the same thing on. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I've been hoping for that for a while now. That's, that's going to be a lot of fun to follow this season as well and how, how the Marlins take advantage of that. Well, yeah, we want to go from here back to the Marlins specifically. This is a Marlins show, and I was inspired by a tweet that I saw just a few days ago. This was from Megan Brown, who does a lot of great baseball content on Twitter, and it was a pretty basic question about just naming one favorite favorite player from your favorite team that only spent one season with that particular team, somebody that made such a great impression on the team in such a limited amount of time. In the Marlins, this upcoming season, they have guys that are on expiring deals that people are excited about, like Jonathan VR, like Yimmy Garcia, Francisco Cervelli, guys that might not be here long, but guys that you could learn to like really, really quickly. And there's a big history of that throughout, throughout Marlins history. They, the one thing that we haven't had on the player side for most of the franchise's existence is there hasn't been a lot of continuity with the players. Very famous for, for trading a lot of these guys at various points. Uh, but otherwise, like really recognizing opportunities when the team is ready to contend and go for it with these short contracts. And in a couple of instances, 1997, 2003, that has worked out where they bring in guys. Those guys have an immediate impact and uh, they go on somewhere else, but they remain intertwined in Marlins history forever. And we both put a lot of thought into this about not just one guy, because you don't want to just limit it to one guy. That's so fun. You want to talk about players at almost every position that we can think of in the Marlins history that were just here one year, one and done with the Marlins organization, but they left such a lasting impression on all of us. Who, who are some of the guys that came to mind for you when you were going through this? Well, Eli, when I was looking through Florida Marlins and Miami Marlins history, you'd be surprised by the amount of players that we've had in our history that have only played here for one year. Can you guess a number of players that have played here for just only one year? Just give me a number. 
I did some, <laughs> I'm not the best person to ask because I'm pretty handy with my research tools. I don't remember the exact number, so I guess this is somewhat of a guess. I would guess about 100. Well, you were, you're half short of that, half short of that, all right? So if anybody guessed half of that of what Eli said, you guys are on point, and you guys can make it over Eli Sussman. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there was over 58 players that called my attention that were only on Florida Marlins one-year deals, all right? Out of those 58 players, I was able to make two team A and team B lineups, okay? For my team A, I have starting off a catcher, Yvonne Pudge Rodriguez, okay? He only played one year here with the fish, but he made it count. He got a check. With two outs, and Hammond steps in. One out of three with a walk today. Urbina deals. A line drive out into left field, breaking in. Conine can't get to it. Up with it. The runners wave. Here's the throw to the plate. Pudge is waiting. He tags him, gets knocked over, holds on, and the Marlins win the game. What a play to end it. First baseman. Carlos Delgado, all right? Really all just depends on the base runners. Hollinsworth going back on this one. He is at the warning track, and it is out, and it is tied. Delgado with his 26th home run. It is a three-run shot, and on a day like this, a left-handed hitter is best served going the other way, and that's what Delgado did. We got at second base. This is one of the positions that I saw that the Marlins were very thin on. It was the middle of the infield. And coming in at second base to justify what I'm saying is Homer Bush. How many, how many of you guys out there on this podcast really recognize who Homer Bush was? Okay. <laughs> I recognize him. <laughs> not as a, you don't think of him as a Marlin first, that's for sure. You think of him probably with yeah. a couple other teams before that. Yeah. Anyway. Third baseman, Chris Johnson. Chris Johnson was involved in that brawl between Jose Fernandez and the Atlanta Braves when Jose went deep and <laughs> Brian McCann got in his face. That's right. Playing shortstop for the Florida Marlins in Team A is, even though he didn't play shortstop with the fish, Kike Hernandez. Yeah, y'all remember Kike? Kike played for the Marlins, y'all. Yeah, don't get it twisted. In the outfield, we have, from 1997, Moises Alu. We have another outfielder, is Carlos El Caballo Lee. Carlos El Caballo Lee, I got him out in right field. And if we want to talk about logistics, who is going to be out in center field, I'm going to pick Mike Cameron, all right? Mike Cameron, Carlos Lee, Moises Alu, Kike Hernandez, Chris Johnson, Homer Bush, Carlos Delgado, and Yvonne Rodriguez. The guys on my bench, I got Ross Glode, Luis Gonzalez, and my starting pitching, Carlos Zambrano, Mike, Matt Clement, Sergio Romo, Joe Borowski, and Ugie Orbina. Facing off against them is Team B. Starting off at catcher is Mike Piazza. Five games with the fish, Mike Piazza. Also had five RBIs. Batting at first base. Hesop Choi. Hesop Choi had an inside-the-park home run for your Florida Marlins back at Pro Player Stadium. Another 3-2 hit high in the air. It's deep to center. Biggio back over his head. Kicks away from him. 
Run is in. Choi going to be sent home. Here's the relay part of the play. Save inside the park home run. He stopped Choi. Oh, baby. He's now. He's now back in Korea. He's a coach now. Yeah, not not for nothing. I felt a little bit short changed that he stopped, got sent back to the Dodgers halfway through the season. I thought like maybe he stopped, had a little bit something more left in the tank when he was with the fish. But we got Guillermo Mota and Paulo Duca back, and they're in my starting lineup, so I got nothing to say about that. <laughs> um, all right, so Team B, we got Mike Piazza. He stopped Choi. Second baseman, Neil Walker. Third baseman, Todd Zeal. Shortstop, Hector Luna. Outfielder Curtis Granderson, outfielder Jock Jones, and outfielder Marlins broadcaster Todd Hollinsworth. Well, a real pretty swing from the young man. We got pinch hitters on deck in the bench. We got Will Cordero, and we got Darren Dalton. That's starting pitching. We have uh, Andrew Cashner, a Randy Wolf, and then Edwin Jackson. Relief pitcher, we got Fernando Platano Power Rodney. We got a left-handed pitcher of Valerio De Los Santos. Who the hell remembers Valerio De Los Santos? Because I remember, boy, and he only lasted here one season. <laughs> and the closing pitcher for Team B, Ty Jones. Let's do it. Yeah, you, you checked pretty much all the boxes that I was going to go to. I want to shout out Javier Vasquez. It was really good that one season that he Yo, finished up Vasquez, We can make a whole Puerto Rican lineup, yo. Javi Vasquez, Delgado. Oh man, they were so it was so good. And I'm gonna keep Yadel Rivera out of that lineup. That's how good it is. <laughs> Yadi Rivera, yeah. And what was the other one? Uh, yeah, Edison Volquez pitched no hitter. But of course, came down with Tommy John surgery shortly after that. Edison Volquez, you could have never, ever, the only guy that could have ever told me that he was going to throw a freaking no hitter was Jeffrey Loria. That's the only guy that signed them to it. Because, you know, Jeffrey Loria was the type of guy who would be like, yo, I just signed John Buck. You're welcome. He wouldn't say anything to nobody. So don't put it past him to be like, yeah. Volquez, no hitter. Sign. Got him. <laughs> yeah, that was a crazy performance in hindsight. I was looking back on it not that long ago. For We were doing our whole Games of the Decade series on fish drives, and like it wasn't just a no hitter. Like Not all no hitters are created equal. They're the A.J. Burnett no hitters where he's just like getting through it. He's on fumes the whole time and, and flirting with disaster every step of the way. And then there's Volquez. Like, of all the no-hitters in Marlins history, that one was probably the most dominant one. He faced the minimum number of batters. When he put a runner on, he would just get a double play to get him out, and he got through it quickly. And that was it was really the last great game he threw in his whole career, but he, he had a long career, and it was it was cool afterwards. He That was a game that, in post-game, he dedicated it to Jose Fernandez. It was a really sweet gesture. And, uh, yeah, they have a lot of guys, like, a lot of these one and done guys that we didn't mention were when they take a chance on the veteran near the end of their career and you don't know how much they have left in the tank. Of course, last year, examples, you, you mentioned Neil Walker, also Curtis Granderson, where you just can't say enough about all the intangibles that he has and the great perspective. Little things that you do, like as a veteran, to come in to that team in a situation where they weren't contending but still like help them along and still have a lasting impression. 
even if it doesn't translate into much success. So, so with a lot of those one-year guys that like don't even work out, like in the traditional sense, and don't even produce for you, there's still like the small victories and there's still the memories that they make. Yeah, and then really, and the best Absolutely. example, the best example of all that, of course, made it on your team was Sergio Romo, where he didn't even spend one season. It wasn't even a full season. It was like two thirds of a season, and the kind of impression that he left on everybody, and uh, that he that he continues as a guy that's now bounced around a few different teams, the kind of relationship that he was able to build with Marlins fans and his teammates in that short amount of time. And of course the fact that he was actually successful and they were able to like secure a trade that was like the best for everybody involved, you know, something that helped the Marlins set themselves up for the future with the, with the prospect and Lewin Diaz, but also like move along Sergio Romo to his next step. You, you don't need everybody to stay here for a long time. It's it's just it's a combination of guys at different phases of their careers that have different roles that stick out. That's Absolutely. It. Absolutely. Uh, each each and one of these guys are stepping stones into the next fighting fish. It was crazy the, the, the type of list I was able to come together with. But I mean if you look at the names in franchise history, you'll be like, wow. I'll, I'll start I'll start going down the list of these guys' names. And I'm sure that every name that I say, with every fan out there, there's going to be some type of connection. I got a Miguel Batista, starting pitcher from 96. I got a Joe Borowski, a Mike Cameron, Homer Bush, Kiko Calero, Craig Breslow, Andrew Kashner, Wilkin Castillo, Isaac Troy, Matt Clement, Will Cordero, Darren Dalton, Valeria De Los Santos, my Matt Diaz, not Diaz, Junior Felix, Jeff Rancor, Ross Glode, Luis Gonzalez, Curtis Granderson, Mark Hendrickson, Kike Hernandez, Trevor Hoffman, Todd Hollingsworth, Edwin Jackson, Chris Johnson, Nick Johnson, Jock Jones, Todd Jones, Jorge Julio, Bill Youngkin, Casey Kochman, Billy Koch, Carlos Lee, a.k.a. El Caballo, John Mabry, Hector Luna, Carlos Marmol, Darren Oliver, Mike Piazza, Scott Posey, Cesar Tuello, Chad Qualls, Mark Redman, Tim Raines, Fernando Rodney, Sergio Romo, Ugie Urbina, Ron Valone, Neil Walker, Randy Wolf, Vance Worley, Carlos Umbrano, and Todd Zeal, ladies and gentlemen. Those are your one-year Miami Marlins. In alphabetical order. In <laughs> alphabetical order. Imagine having that conversation. Everybody was a big fan. Uh, the Chicago Bulls, the last dance. Imagine being Jerry Krause and telling everybody in that locker room, yo, this ain't your last dance. This is your only dance. <laughs> exactly. And one other thing I wanted to mention before we get out of here was a surprise that we got from a – he's a writer. He's a graphic designer that works with our sister site. He covers the Florida Panthers usually, but he's a Marlins fan. Uh, Francisco Oporta. And he, he put together this post on the site that was a really nice surprise because it's something that enters a lot of our minds – yeah, even if we don't focus on it too much. Of course, we had our Fish Stripes Hall of Fame exercise because seeing this void where for all the praise that we give to the new ownership group, they haven't really embraced the history of the team that much. You walk through Marlins Park and you see that it's a team that's trying to start anew and not one that's necessarily linked up with what they've accomplished in the past. But Francisco is like with a lot of us where he like sees this opportunity to blend those together a little bit more and embrace what the team has done in the past. And with his graphic design skills, he put together like some concepts about retiring 
key numbers in franchise history and also recognizing the accomplishments that some of these teams have had. The obvious World Series titles, winning the wild card on the way to those World Series in 97 and 03 and like putting them up on different parts of the ballpark where if you look around the rest of Major League Baseball, there are teams with a lot less history than the Marlins have had or at least in terms of championships and yet they're the ones that recognize the importance that those teams have had in the history of those fans. So that, that's something that I encourage people to check out. I'm keeping it on the front page of the website for a few days. I'm so proud of what he did here. So it's going to be right on front center on fishstripes.com with uh, Francisco's renditions of hanging some really big banners in the ballpark for the first time, things that you'd actually be able to see on TV broadcasts and hopefully – when fans return to the ballpark, whether that's at the end in late 2020 or probably more likely in 2021, whenever fans get back in there, being able to like soak up all the history and uh, and really like get a feel for what the Marlins have been, and not just in the the franchise's history as a major league team, but I don't know if you know this, but we've had teams in Miami going back even further than that. They had a minor league team in Miami going back all the way to the 50s. That also called themselves the Marlins and trying to incorporate all that into what Miami baseball is today. So I, I know that's an important thing to you and to a lot of other fans to do a better job of, of recognizing where Miami baseball has been in addition to where it's going, just where it's been and some of the people that have been a part of making it special. Yeah, man. I mean, in particular, I love how the Marlins move into the orange bowl. Um, I'm not a, big, a particularly big fan how they took over the color orange and they got rid of the teal. But I love how they make, they took it upon themselves to make their own colors in the Miami red and the Caliente blue. And I respect them and everything else that they've been doing moving forward. For Alex Contreras from Eli Sussman, late night with the fish recording of Fish Bites in the middle of a crazy time. And a developing situation at the major league level in terms of putting together this 2020 season. So as, as soon as there's some more clarity about that season, we're going to link up again and bring in some of our other buddies here on the staff to discuss it because it's, it's going to be a crazy summer one way or the other and an unprecedented one for sure. And we're excited to break it all down for you guys. So thank you all for listening once again. Check us all out on Fish Stripes and across social media, and we'll keep you updated on this evolving situation. Go fish.